This week, we're going to talk about this concept of the temple being cleansed. And, and I told you a minute ago about how Jesus got the most upset. He went over and he flipped over tables and he had a whip, it says, and he drove people out. He said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. And this is kind of a, a, a premonition of the, the cleansing that's required, that, that Jesus wants this holy space in our lives, that we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And, and he's really serious about that. And so we're going to talk today about why that's such a big deal from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to study that together. We're going to do again what we always do. We pray before we open the Word of God. And I would also encourage you to do that in your private study. Just pray. Quick prayer. Father, reveal something to us today. Um, you can do that any time, but I would invite you uh, to pray with us now that we, we could understand the Word of God together, right? You didn't come here to hear me speak or hear some great wisdom that I've come up with. We've come to hear from God. That's you and me together. And so we invite him into this space in an intentional way, asking him to teach us uh, through the Word that he inspired for us to have. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we've come here today to meet with you and to worship you, to celebrate who you are in our lives, and to proclaim your goodness to the world. And, and we know that we can't do this apart from you. There, there's no part of our ability to proclaim good news if not for the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. Indeed, Father, there's no way we could even hear good news if your Holy Spirit's not living in us redeeming us today. And so, Father, we, we pray that we would surrender our hearts and minds to you. Um, if whatever's happening outside of this place, this sanctuary, I pray that it would be set aside for the moment that we could hear a new word, uh, get a new understanding, and, and become more intimately involved with your story. Would you uh, compel us that way by your Holy Spirit? Uh, we thank you so much for worship. We thank you for the opportunity we have to sing your praises and to sing our faith in you. And now, Father, as we study your word, would you open our minds to the scriptures? Would you help us to see and hear the truth and the power that, that, that is in your word for us? And may it all draw us nearer to Jesus Christ. We pray this in his mighty and his holy name. Amen. So we're going to continue the book of Hebrews in chapter 9. So go ahead and gr grab your Bible and turn to chapter 9 if you would. If you didn't bring one, uh, grab one at the end of the seat row. It's probably close to 841. It might be like 842 or 43 right now where we're at. So there on the end of the chair rows. I would encourage you to get eyes on the scripture. We're just going to talk straight from the word today and, and um, realize the truth that's contained there for us, okay? So here we go. Hebrews chapter 9. This is on the heels of this idea that Jesus is the great high priest and he sacrificed himself for us. And this is what the word says. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In his first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which was a room... Oh, which, which had a golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. 
So we've been building the book of Hebrews toward this idea of Jesus as the great high priest, you know, the perfect sacrifice offered once for all, forever. And, and now we're getting this kind of idea. And the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people, right? And, and trying to connect their faith experience and temple worship to the truth of who Jesus is in temple worship or in tabernacle worship, okay? And so we're going to see this unfold a little bit here. And I want to talk about a couple of things that we see right away in, in ch- chapter 9, verse 1. This first covenant, by the way, it's not, I can't think of time it's called the old covenant. We, we call the new covenant, new covenant, but this is the first covenant, the first agreement that God had made with his people, right, to deliver them into the promised land, had two things. They had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary, okay? And that meant that basically there were rules for how we were to approach God and serve God. That's the first thing you had to understand about this, right? And the second thing was there was a holy space. It says in the text here, earthly sanctuary, but sanctuary is this idea of sanctification. It's holiness, and earthly means it's here. It's in this time. It's in this age. And so you have sacred spaces where you gather to worship God in the way he instructs us to worship him or to serve him. The same word here, by the way. We'll hear that word worship today many times in the text, and it, it means both to worship and to serve in the same, same way. And so we have those two kind of primary constructs. Now, we're going to walk through, and we're going to talk about the first covenant and the the uh, things that were required for first covenant worship. And this is going to all unfold in a moment, so I hope you'll bear with me as we walk through this, okay? It says this in, in chapter 2, a tab- in verse 2, apologize. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table of consecrated bread, and this was called holy. Um, tabernacle is a funny word, and I don't know what you think of when you think of a tabernacle. You know, maybe you've heard of the tabernacle choir, or, you know, you have some other... I always thought of a table as a tabernacle. I'm not sure why that is, a tabernacle. But in, in the Greek, it's this idea of pitching a tent, right? It's a temporary structure that's used to worship God. Actually, I think it's kind of funny. At Family Bible Church, we get the vibe of that, you know. We've met at the park. We meet at the middle school. We've met at the Cordy Rec Center. I mean, we've met at different locations at the elementary school before and other places for worship. It's this moving um, location of worship for God that becomes holy. It's this pitching of a tent, literally. It means, uh, is what tabernacle means. And so there's this first big tent that's pitched for the people of God. And this place is called holy. That's actually all it says in the Greek, because it's, it's called holy. And, and you'll see there's two, pl- there's two things that stand out in this place. Uh, the first is that there was a lampstand, right? This kind of reminder of the light. And then there was this consecrated bread on a table, or it might be called showbread, or a presentation of food. It's this, this spot where you can recognize that, that God is with us and sustaining us. And, and, and I can't really elaborate on all the reasons why there's a lampstand, but there's this holy place. Now, I'm going to tell you something a little bit ahead of time. We're going to hear in a minute in the text, but in this holy place, this ordinary place, the priests can come and go all the time doing their ministry or their worship. That's what the word says, their service to God. And so all the priests would come at all times, and they would worship God. They would do their priestly jobs in that tabernacle, that tent pitched for God's glory. Now read on with me, if you will. 
behind the second curtain, so now you have a division in this big tent, and there behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, or called the holy of holies. And so it's this inner sanctuary. Now, I visualize this as a tent inside of a tent. So if you're in here, you're already in the holy space, but there's this other space that's more holy, that's the holy of holies, and, and there's some very um, special worship that happens in that space. Let's read on and, and hear what it's about. This holy place, or holy of holies, had the golden ark of incense, I'm sorry, the golden altar of incense in it. So there's a, a, an altar, a table, with this kind of smoldering, you remember the smoke of God, right? There's this holiness that's being represented there. And then there is the ark of of the covenant. And this is the ark of the first promise, okay? And I just want to spend just a second talking about this ark, because it says a gold-covered ark. How, how many, uh, so here's the culture, right? Totally just messing with our heads on this thing, right? But how many of you can picture the golden ark right now? How many of you can see it in your mind's eye? You can see it, yep, right now. You know what it looks like, right? How many of you can see it because you've watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? That's right. That's what I'm saying, right? That's where we get, yeah. And you think, wow, this was a metal, the gold box. It was so cool. But you know what's really crazy and radical, and this is a side note. I'm just going to throw it out there. But this was a wooden box that then was clad in gold because it became precious to Israel over time. It, I always had this envision of like, oh, it's just, just solid gold. And that's not what the word says. It was clad in gold, but it's a wooden box. Why is that important? Because it's a reminder of the promises of God, and it's contained in this very earthly vessel, right? Wood. Matter of fact, the very word ark, if you know much of your Bible, you know there was a story about Noah's ark that was built to deliver his people through the flood, through God's judgment, that there's this, this promise that they will survive the judgment of God built in a wooden ark. Same thing now. We have this ark that has become valuable to Israel, and they've, they've honored it by you know, pressing gold and, and, and remembering God's promises. We're going to talk about those now. Check it out. What's in the ark? It goes through all this kind of uh, detail to explain this to us. The golden ark, um, gold-covered ark of the covenant, that is the first promise that God made to his people. This ark contained a gold jar of manna. You'll remember that manna was the bread that would sprout up in the desert. Remember, this is why Israel remembers it. God promised us the promised land and delivered us. He fed us with the manna. It contained Aaron's staff that had budded, okay? And that's, if you remember the story, I believe it's in Exodus, where um, they had all the 12 tribes of Israel bring a staff and put it in front of the ark and, and write their name on it to see who God had chosen to lead the people. And in the morning when they came, it says that the staff that Aaron's name was on, which was the Levite staff, the priestly staff, had budded, and not just budded, but it had borne fruit in the form of almonds, so there's this kind of miraculous encounter where God makes his choice clear to the people of Israel. Matter of fact, if you read the story, the reason that God had to be clear is because people were grumbling about the leadership that God had put in place. It happens right after the story where the people had kept back part of the offering and were swallowed up in the earth. God judged his people, but yet they were still grumbling. And so God said, in order that the people will not be destroyed, bring these staffs forward and, and I will show you divinely my choice in leadership. And he showed them Aaron. So in this 
Ark of the First Covenant, we have this staff that had Aaron's name on it that had budded. They had retained this. And then the third thing that we see here is that stone tablets of the covenant. Now, you'll remember that, there was, that Moses went up to the mountain to get the word of God, to get the law of God, and God had written these commandments on a stone with his own fingers, what the word says. And then when Moses saw the people worshiping the golden staff, he smashed them, which is crazy. I'm not sure what Moses is thinking there. And then later, he goes back and he rewrites the commandments, and then God rewrites the commandments. And Tradition says that all those things, as much as Israel still had, the pieces of the first broken covenant, the, the one that Moses had smashed, and, and then the new stones were all in this box in the Holy of Holies. You get the image here, right? So what you have is this big space where we worship God, and you have this smaller area, this more glorifying, this is tent where the ark is and these three things. And I think it's powerful because what, what do these represent, Right? I think this first thing is manna provision that God had never stopped feeding his people. And, and maybe you follow Jesus for all. Maybe you don't follow Jesus at all. But you start to think, I'm going to starve to death out here. And, and the promise that comes from God says, no, I've never left you. I've never abandoned my people. And manna is proof of God's um, continuing um, nourishment, provision for his people, Right? The second thing is this idea of Aaron's budded staff, that God has made a sovereign choice in who he calls as his priest, and that it's the people of God to obey that call, that we don't get to follow God however we want, that we follow the one that God ordained to be leading, right? And then the third thing is that God had make a cov made a covenant with his people that he would keep his promise. I'll remind you, this is written to people who came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jewish people who became to faith in Christ, the anointed one. And this whole idea is that Israel had preserved these things in the temple until such a time as this. This is what he's going to get into here, right? So you got this image. Are you with me now? So there's this curtain and there's the Holy of Holies, okay? By the way, here's the heads up and it's coming in a minute, but you can only go in that place if you're the high priest and only then once a year. Right? We're going to read that right now. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, I mean, arranged like that, set up in that way, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry or their service to God, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and then only once a year, and never without blood, which the priest offered for himself first, and then for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. Unknowing sins. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. We... we Last couple weeks, we talked about how the law was weak and useless. It couldn't bring perfection or sanctification, right? And here again, it says it was only, it couldn't clear the conscience of the worshiper, the one who is serving. That no matter how many times you, you kept these laws, no matter how many times you fulfilled this duty, you still felt the burden of obligation that you had in the Holy of Holies. You still felt the burden of obligation you had in the holy place. 
and it wouldn't clear your conscience. It wouldn't help you to see things the way God sees things, to see them rightly. It just was a limitation of the law. The author says it's just matters of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. Many, many times our own, and this is the danger, right? Okay, many times our own worship can be like that. For instance, we only pray this many times in worship. Um, or when you pray, you only pray this way. Or when I, I Bible study, I only Bible study at these times and these places. And you begin these external rules that don't really have anything to do with our heart or our desire or, more importantly, God's desire for us. They're external trappings not in, inward realities. And, um, and, they, and get this, these were external regulations, the word says, applying until the time of the new order. And I love this because it's this idea that um, we, uh, he's imposing a new structure. God is. Uh, the new order is kind of a weird way to say that, but it means that he's imposing a righteousness on his people. He, he's doing that work in Christ. External regulation applying until the time of the new order. So now we're going to change gears, okay? So now we kind of have this picture of the, the um, first promise of God and all the worship that entailed from that. Now we're going to turn our eyes toward Christ and look and see the claims that are made of Jesus and why he is different and better than everything else. Look at the word in verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by man. That is to say, it's not even part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, or the holy of holies, once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, here it is, cleanse our consciousness, consciousnesses from acts that lead to death, right? So that we might serve the living God. And so having had this picture of how the first covenant worship went, he says, now wait a minute, Jesus has entered into the real tabernacle, the real holy of holies on our behalf. And this comes with great um, implications for us. Um, first, we talked about this already, and I, but he entered by his own blood into the new tabernacle, he, he, the true tabernacle, really. He entered him by his, his own blood. And he went not just to the uh, holy place, the real holy place, but the real holy of holy place, entering in. Um, and then look, he obtained for us, where is it at? Um, he obtained for us, oh, here it is, obtained eternal redemption, having obtained eternal redemption. Um, and again, I get hung up on this, right? But um, it's this... Um, eureka moment. It actually says that he found our eternal redemption, right? Um, he, he found our unending deliverance. I don't know if that matters to you, but as we're thinking about the promise of the first covenant to deliver the people 
through the, the desert into the promised land, it says that by entering the Holy of Holies, Jesus discovered or found for us, not that it was a mystery to him, but it was a mystery to us, you know, how we're going to get to the true promised land, and he found our en enduring redemption, our perpetual sanctification, our true home where we will live with God forever. Like, he found it. I love the word in Greek. It's eureka. Yeah? Like, really, it's the most precious thing. And he, he delivered it for us, or, or he found it um, for us. All right. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean. Listen, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now, this is the idea that you would take some blood, you would, you would sprinkle it on the people. We're going to hear more about that in a minute. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So there's two things I want you to see. The first thing that the new covenant does is that it lets us rightly see ourselves the way God does. It helps us to see the world the way God does. It, 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 um, the idea of cleansing our conscience is like um, uh, transforming our vision. Like that's what it means. And, and when we, we prayed to prayer earlier, God, would you, would you change our minds so we could see the world the way you see it? That's the promise of the new covenant. That we would no longer function the old ways of the world. That we would no longer function the sin-filled, externalized ways of the world. But we'd have eyes to see what God is doing in the world, his redemption story. And I think this is radically powerful because all of a sudden we can get in Christ, we can get out of our humanity, and we can begin to see glimpses of the world the way God sees it. Indeed, we can see the people of God and the desperate condition in glimpses the way God sees it and the need for a Savior, for a hope in Jesus. Have you ever had that experience in your life? where you find yourself going through and functioning under the old rules, you know? It's like high school all over again, <laughs> you know? You judge people, you look at them, you make a snap, you know, I know how that works and stuff. If you're a child of God, you should have a sanctifying, um, uh, the word is um, transformational view in your mind. You should see things differently than that. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have a tendency to go back to the old way and just, you know, see it the way I've always seen it. No, that's not the Spirit of God. The sanctifying power of Christ is to see things the way God says, to look in the eyes of others and see the children that God has made and that he sent his son um, to save, to die to save. This reality that he's um, resetting our vision. He's cleansing our conscience. He's changing our eyes to take our eyes off dead works. That's what the word says, right? And then the second thing, so that, in order that, because, for that reason, that we can serve the living God, right? So you take your eyes off these old dead ways and you begin to live and serve the word here, worship. It's used elsewhere in the same chapter as worship, God. I was reminded as I was studying this week that um, God desires that his people would worship him in spirit and in truth, right? That we would be having this renewed mind to see things the way God sees it, and we would live in that space. That we are free in Christ through the new covenant to serve the God who is alive and not dead. That's the gift. I hope you see that there, right? Okay, let's, let's press on then. Verse 15. 
For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom set to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I, I, this is a pretty fair translation, but the order drives me nuts, right? It's just, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new promise, and then skip to that part, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins they committed under the first promise. So he died as a, a ransom, a propitiation, to, 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 to please God so that we could be free, and then what? So that we could in, inherit the eternal promise, our inheritance in Christ, that we receive that gift in Jesus' name. So he becomes the mediator, and this is important for this reason, because all of a sudden, the old regulations and the old rules and the old holiness no longer holds water, (laughs) you know? It won't do the job, because in Christ you have a mediator of a new promise, he, he's the one that controls that, to, that stipulates the terms of worship we talked about, right? That, that, that claims a holy place that says, this is where you dwell with me. And, and into that space, we can only enter by Jesus' name. And, and this is the thing we get into in the world, right? There has to be another way, right? That's not what the word says. No, he's the mediator of the new promise. Scripture is full of text that reinforce that idea. Jesus is the way to eternal life. He's God's plan for salvation and offered to us, offered to us in the Holy of Holies. Okay, so let's read on together now. We're going we're gonna to pick it up here. You ready? In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made the promise, right? By the way, will is the same thing as, as covenant here. Um, because a will is enforced only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the person who made it is still living, right? This idea of sacrifice. 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water and scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people. Catch the imagery there, right? He took the blood of the calves that were sacrificed together with some water, scarlet wool, that's red wool if, if you don't right know that, and branches of hyssop, and then he sprinkled the scroll, that's the word, and he sprinkled all the people of God. And he said this, this is the blood of the promise which God has made, commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle, now you remember the imagery, right? The worship imagery, the tabernacle, and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So get the imagery now, right? Remember the tabernacle was set up. Moses would go in with the, the, the calf, the, the offerings, and he would sprinkle the scrolls, he would sprinkle the people, and he would sprinkle all the stuff used to worship God, making it holy. The word says consecrated. That means sanctified or made holy for use in the temple worship. He did the, the same thing there. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's not an understandable thing for the Israelites. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, I'm sorry, yeah, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things would be purified, as implied there, with better sacrifices than these, because Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Read on with me. Nor did he enter heaven 
to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of giving himself. Just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sanctified once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, here it is, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It, it, I want to do two things. In this idea of Christ entering the Holy of Holies, we have to carry forward this imagery of Moses mixing blood with water and sprinkling the scrolls and the people of God, reminding them that they've been sanctified, set apart for holy work. That all the things used in the tabernacle were sanctified with the blood of Christ. And, that, and, and in this mysterious way, and I don't mean mysterious like it didn't happen, I mean mysterious is too great for us to imagine the reality of this. The image that comes to mind for me is Christ entering heaven and sanctifying and sprinkling everything with his own blood. And, and indeed, not just sanct sanctifying the tabernacle and the worship implements in heaven, but sanctifying the people of God with the sprinkling of his blood in the holy of holies. <clears throat> that he cleansed the temple. <clears throat> and I just have this image of that happening, right? And he did this, <clears throat> and this is a hard thing to get through too, one time for all. And, and repeatedly, Hebrews makes this case and says, he didn't do it over and over and over again. He didn't have to offer sacrifices annually or monthly or daily, but he did it one time for all, perfecting the offering on behalf of the people of God. Um, I, 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 I get hung up on this because it's, sometimes we can believe that Jesus must do more or do it again. It didn't work the first time. Uh, we don't understand fully that we have been sanctified in Christ's name. If we believe the good news, if we know Jesus is Savior and Lord, he has sanctified us, purified us by his blood. One place that this comes out for me, and, and we do at Family Bible Church, we do it on third, uh, the third Sundays, we do communion, right? And when we do communion, we remember. But, but there are, there are um, faith organizations that believe that they are sacrificing Jesus over and over again. Matter of fact, if you listen closely, you'll hear the words, please accept this sacrifice at, at, at your hands. That's been done one time forever. That's what Hebrews says. And not just one time forever, but, but for each person who's being saved, the sanctification is, is complete. The offering's been made. And indeed, that's why it's such a tragedy when we refuse the gospel of Christ, when we won't receive his blessing or his covering because of our own pride or indulgence, because the sacrifice has been made already, not to be offered again and again, like the, the, the you know, the, the prototype, but a perfect offering. And then the last thing here, right? But Jesus will return. He will appear again, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who wait upon him. All right. So that's where we are, right? This idea that we have been sanctified in Christ, sprinkled with his blood. And we're going to roll on a few more. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not, real, not realities in themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near for worship or service, right? It, 
If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Because the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said this, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he has said, Sacrifices and offerings... And sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required those to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made, here it is, holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, priest, a priest stands before stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same ritual sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this, first saying, this is the promise that I will make with them. After that time, I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. We heard that last week, right, two weeks ago. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where, there, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. I want to close with this idea, that there are three realities that we get from this offering that Jesus made on our behalf that should be manifest in our life in a real way, okay? Um, this idea of being sanctified, of being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, being um, made pure. And the first is this, that worshipers are cleansed once and for all. And we've talked about this in the study of Hebrews already, but this idea that we can continue to hold on to things that God has forgiven in our lives. That if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, he died for all of your sins. And, and, and we ought not keep hanging on to broken, messed up views of ourselves because God has set us free from those things. He, he has perfectly offered himself that we could be free. We are sprinkled in the blood of Christ that we could be fully redeemed. It's no longer about us, but about him. It's no longer about what we have done, but what he has done. And we are free to live in that space. We are cleansed um, once and for all. And, and then the second thing, which I hope you heard in there, was that um, we are made holy in Jesus' name. That by his offering, by him entering the Holy of Holies, by his own blood, he has indeed made us pure and blameless. Um, you, you, you know, like presenting us perfectly to his Father, covering us in his blood and, and, and preparing us uh, for eternity with him in heaven. And maybe those first two things, you're like, okay, so I get it. So I have a clear conscience. I have a, I, my conscience, conscience is transformed, and, and I know I'm holy, right? But then there's this third thing, and it says, Jesus sat down now, and he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for him. And, and I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I, I feel strongly that our job as those who've been purified and made holy is to, is to partner with God in making his enemies his footstool. I always had this picture in my mind of um, Jesus in the easy chair with the ottoman, <laughs> you know, made of enemies. That's what I always thought, you know, like he's sitting back, like footstool, relaxed, you know, chilling, hanging out in heaven, 
enemies pile up on his feet, that, that he's vanquished by his blood, right? But there's this other idea. There's this idea of a footstool like that kind of a footstool. It's this idea of someone who stands on someone else's neck as what? As conqueror, as redeemer, as sanctifier. That, that, that part of our job as those who are whole is to deliver enemies into Christ's hands, to, to put them at his feet. How do we do those things, right? We can certainly go out and warn people. Do, do, do you understand? And we're going to talk about that in Hebrews. Do you understand the, the danger you're in? Ignoring a holy God. Indeed, ignoring a God who sent his son to die for you. You're ignoring him. That's doable. Man, I tell you what, really. Do you even surrender the enemies of your own heart, right? <laughs> He's waiting for his enemies to be his footstool. Do you still, do you have those dark places? And maybe it's that stuff you're hanging on to. Maybe it's that that you don't believe you're a new creation in Christ. It's the things that fight against God and his plan for our lives. Do you lay that stuff at his feet and say, just walk on it. Just stand on it, Jesus, and lift me from this body of sin, rendering ourselves to God's service. I don't, isn't that crazy? That the scripture says that he's waiting for that moment. And we can certainly make it about Satan and his minions for sure, right? They're going to be subservient. They're going to be vanquished by the gospel of Jesus. But we can make it about the enemies of God who are evil in the world. But man, we should draw all these things together. And it even includes us. Why? Because he is Lord. Because he is king. Because he's perfect. Rendering ourselves to him. I don't know. I don't know where you are today. Um, I pray that you know Christ enough to have some recognition of, his, of the fear of his holiness, <laughs> of the place that he's entered on our behalf. Oh, I pray that today you've experienced the, 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 the shower, you know, the, the sanctification in his blood, the sprinkling, the reminder that you're holy people, that he's not joking about this. That he died to set us free and to set us free to serve him. And then maybe today you just got to lay something down. We're going to invite you to do that um, in prayer right now, wherever you are. And um, if you're like me, there's some stuff you got to lay down today. I'm just going to invite you as we pray together to lay it down at Jesus' feet. Let him be Lord and King of your life. Uh, pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, today uh, we, we thank you so much um, for your mercy and your grace. Uh, I'm amazed that you, that you don't just, you know, end us in our sinfulness. Uh, that you don't just um, strike us down for our unrighteousness. But you come as full of grace and mercy, inviting us to first rest in you and then lay down our burdens at your feet. And Father God, for the things today that we are holding on to, if, if we're rejecting you as God, if, if we're mocking the sacrifice that you've made, if we're not receiving the gift of salvation, I pray that by your spirit we would repent and believe the good news. Oh, Father, for brothers and sisters here today that, that need to know your salvation, that need to feel your sanctification, I pray that your Holy Spirit would deliver that this morning. That, that, that you would wash us from our iniquities, that you would purify us from all of our sin, and that we could truly know we're people of the tabernacle and the tent of God, sanctified for service in your name.
Father, I, I pray also that we would um, be part of your work in this world, that, that we would um, be part of, of delivering enemies to your feet, that the things that, that we claim are important are not important compared to you, that the things that we are hung up on, the hurts or the bitterness or the anxiety, whatever it is, Father, that, that, that in our own lives and our hearts right now that we would say, oh, I want to let go of it all, but i got to hang on to this one thing, that today we would render that to you as your footstool, that we would trust you completely, and that indeed, as your word says, we would have a clear conscience. We would see clearly the world that we're called to live into. May you be glorified as we continue to follow you together. Um, may this be more than an old book with old rules, but a true transformative relationship with Jesus Christ in our lives. May we live it out together. We pray that you would do that work um, in, in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen.